measles cases have been rising worldwide. Since the pandemic, there has been more hesitancy and less vaccine use. Could this be contributing to the rise in measles? Data from the CDC shows that in the United States, there has not been that much of an uptick. So let's talk about it. Hey everybody, it's Dr. David. Um, of course, most of you know I'm a board-certified pediatrician in Tampa, Florida. Um, certainly while in my practice, we do give vaccines based upon parental choice. I am one who believes that parents ultimately have the, both the right as well as the responsibility to make a decision as to what's best for their individual child, and I will respect that parent's decision, whatever it is. Now, um, decisions, of course, do have consequences, and those consequences could be good or they could be bad. Um, but today we are going to be talking about the measles virus, okay? How common it is, how dangerous it is, how dangerous it is, and ways to both prevent and to treat it, okay? Now let's first talk about measles itself, the virus, the wild virus. It is a potentially dangerous um traumatic type of virus, um, although most people, of course, do survive. Um, it, um, the symptoms themselves will typically appear 7 to 14 days after a person is exposed. It usually starts off with general flu-like symptoms, a high fever, cough, runny nose, and often conjunctivitis. It's a, it's a common, common thing for measles. Um, also, um, these tiny little white spots can, can appear on the inside surface of the mouth called coplic spots. And they typically, if they do arise, they're two to three days after the start of those flu-like symptoms. So up until that, there's really no way that the, of knowing that a person has measles. But once you see that, if you look, of course, doctors, when they're examining a patient, they would look inside the mouth and they would potentially see this, although most parents aren't looking at the inside lining of their children's mouth. But then three to five days after the first start of symptoms, that's when the classic measles rash appears. It's typically flat. It's typically red dots, so they can sometimes coalesce into some bigger areas. But the interesting thing is that the pattern, it usually starts up in the head and it works its way down the trunk and then to the extremities and then eventually to the feet. So that's a pattern that most viruses don't do. Um, and so that's another way of seeing it. But of course, at that point, the person's pretty well into the disease. Now, as far as the death rate, about one in 500 people who catch measles do die. Okay. And what they die from most commonly would be from pneumonia or from neurological complications because it can cause an encephalitis. Now, in terms of the contagiousness itself, it is one of the most contagious viruses, infections known to humanity. 90% um, of people, if they are not immune, which means if they weren't vaccinated or didn't have measles already, um, if, but if they're exposed to an infectious individual, 90% of them will catch measles. Okay. Now, another interesting thing, though, is that it can stay in the air for at least two hours after the person who has the disease has left the area. So it could be floating around. You may not see anybody who's sick around you, but yet you can still get exposed. Okay. Now, uh, as far as that, the, it's, the contagiousness is typically from four days before until four days after the rash appears. So again, the contagiousness period is a little further along with this. Now, in terms of the recent changes worldwide, Globally, the measles cases did jump 19% in 2022 
compared to 2021. And that's worldwide. That's not the numbers for America. Um, and in fact, in 2022, there were 9 million people diagnosed, mostly children, with measles and 136,000 children, or mostly children, but 136,000 people did die from measles complications. And now there's an interesting question there. Um, is if, you know, relative to, um, to the vaccines, okay? Yes, there has been less vaccinations done. But at the same time, are we um, is is that because of hesitancy, which certainly there is, or is it due to access? And that's one of the things that happened during the pandemic is that healthcare as a whole, access, especially in underdeveloped countries, well, let's say under um, underprivileged communities here as well, um, the the availability to get medical care of any sort, whether it's treatment or prevention or vaccines, um, was slowed down because people just couldn't get around and to do things or go out. They were afraid to go out or whatever. Okay, so now let's talk a little bit more about measles specifically in the United States. Now, in the 1950s, the annual average um, um, were um, there were at least 500,000 cases on average. That was happening in America, and there were, therefore, and there were about 500 deaths per year due to measles that was being reported in the United States. Um, nine, now, 95 percent of the population in the 50s had been infected by measles by the age of 15. That's why it was a pediatric illness, kind of like chickenpox used to be, because adults they would have had immunity for it already. So there was um, herd there was herd immunity for adults in a way, but of course, until you caught it then you know you were of course you were you were susceptible now more recently um in the united states so in 2000 the measles was declared eradicated eradicated in the united states now as you can see um by this graph here there that does not mean zero cases it was down to a minimal and you'll see that over the course of the next 23 years here some years it will be up a little bit some years it will be down a little bit um you can see in 2014 and again in, in 2019, there were actually bigger spikes. And in 2019 was the biggest one of, tw of, of 1,274. Mind you, this was before COVID lockdown. This was before those issues where access to healthcare was um, was at. So there just seems to be like a waxing and a waning. And as you can kind of see going forward, that, um, that it kind of, you know, came right back down after that first year. I mean, after 2019, I said that high year. Now, in the last two months, so this is being recorded to, at the end of, um, of January 2024. But between December 1st, 2023, and January 23, 2024, so that's when the last data was available about a week ago, there have been 23 confirmed cases of measles in America, no deaths. Um, there were seven direct uh, importations of measles with international travels. And then there were two outbreaks with five or more cases. So an outbreak, by definition, according to the CDC, is if there are five or more cases um, in, a, in a cluster. OK, so based upon those numbers, we are on pace for about 130 cases for 2024 if those if the last two months um, were to hold up on average. Um, but as you can see, based upon this graphic overall, that's not really a big rise. And that's certainly within the realm of the waxing and waning that we've seen over the past 23 years. OK, so let's talk now more about the vaccine itself. It is a very, 
very effective vaccine for stopping measles. And the vaccine itself is called MMR. There used to be separated where one could get a vaccine separate from measles, from rubumps, from mumps or from rubella. But in the um, around, I think it was around 2005 or so, um, the U.S. government um, told Merck, the sole manufacturer, that they didn't have to make the single ones and that everybody should just get the the um the triple now i have patients who were willing to do them one at a time because some people like to do one at a time just like introducing baby foods one at a time um but then they wouldn't give all triple and so in my opinion even though there were only about 25 to thirty thousand um vials the doses that were being given of the individuals back then it did lead to a point where some people didn't take it at all. You can say that as good or bad, depending on a person's vaccine opinions, but nonetheless, it did happen. And so I think it was kind of interesting because obviously doctors made this um, decision. And if these doctor doctors were doing this because of their concern about people catching measles or those other viruses, if their goal was do no harm, potentially there were people who did not get vaccinated because they wouldn't take the triple, but they would have taken the singles. But that's conversation for another day. Okay, now, um, as far as the vaccine itself, now, prior to um, all 50 states having um, the school requirements, which um, which started in 1980, so the vaccines had started by the end of the 60s, but by 1980, all 50 states had the school requirement. Um, and so prior to that time, prior to 1980, um, you know, but as it was raving up, um, you know, um, but there were about 400 to 500 cases per year. And it was predicted it was infecting about um, 30, um, three to four million annually. But of course, those numbers did go down as more and more states came on board for their children relative to the school mandate. Now, as far as the vaccine itself, this is what's referred to as a live attenuated virus vaccine. So this doesn't have particles that are dead or even just like subunits like um, most of the vaccines that are out there. This isn't messenger RNA, okay? Um, it's a live virus that was attenuated, means it was weakened in order to stimulate and to grow within the body, but to not cause the measles symptoms that the non-weakened version would have caused. But it is a live measles virus. It's just been weakened. Okay, now one of the issues with this as well, in all honesty, is with messenger RNA vaccine. But unlike the other types of vaccines, because those other vaccines, what's in the in the syringe that's given, that's the exact amount of antigen that the immune system is going to react against. But with messenger RNAs, which we don't know how different people replicate that um, the messenger RNA to the spike protein, more or less, but also with live viruses that are supposed to replicate, they do replicate in the body, and then the body mounts an immune response to that. Different people will have different amounts of antigens for both of those. So that is a difference. Okay. Now, allergic and hyperinflammatory reactions can occur with MMR, as that's true with any vaccines or viruses for that matter, too. But it is felt that 95% of the community needs to be um, vaccinated in order to obtain true herd immunity. Okay. Um, the number has slipped in some communities um, um, because obviously not everybody's taking it. Now, while we're talking about it, how successful is the vaccine? Well, 93% of the population of the kids will be immune with one dose and then 97 with two doses. But yet most kids get two doses. Which and actually of the ones who get that second dose, if they were not immune, if they weren't part of the 93 percent, they were part of the 7 percent, only half of those kids would go on to be protected with the second dose. But half of them would not, which means that the second dose is being given to treat about 2 percent of the population. 
Now, we've talked for COVID. We've talked for other things about vaccine titers, which is checking to see if the antibodies are there to know if a person has protection. And, um, and, and that's something that anybody can do. Um, and of course, if 93% of kids are um, immune, that means 90% of the time their titles, titers are protective. Okay. And that leads to a very interesting question. Are two doses really needed by the population? And of course, if, you know, for the the 2%, I guess that would help them, but anybody can get these titers checked. And of course, if you have very good protective antibodies for these viruses, mumps and rubella included, there is no benefit to getting a second dose. That's something to take in consideration. Most of my families choose to get the titers done to see whether they need the protection, uh, added protection that they might get from the second dose. Okay. Now, um, what about autism, right? That was kind of like the beginning of the whole conversation with autism relative to vaccines, relative to the MMR vaccine in particular, okay? Now, there have been multiple large studies that have been done that does not show that there is a connection, okay? Some people question whether the validity of those studies, et cetera, but I can just rep report on the information, the data that is presented to us, okay? Now, if you ask me, do I believe MMR causes autism? My answer is no. If you ask me, do I think that there are cases, there are kids who have autism who for themselves were triggered by the MMR vaccine? My answer is yes. Okay. Now, multiple parents through my career, you know, and I never ask, um, do you think the MMR vaccine or any vaccine caused your kids vac um, autism? But I will ask, is there anything in particular that you think triggered it? So an open-ended, not a directed question. And, you know, I still get Lots of families who feel, yes, it did happen after a vaccine. I try to track them down. When do you think that the protect that it actually happened? And some people will say two years. It happened in two years. I'm like, well, usually vaccines aren't being given at two years. Of it. Oh, it must have been earlier than that, around 18 months. Well, most kids are given the vaccine for MMR in particular between 12, um, 12 to 15 months. Oh, yeah, it was around there. So I do get some nebulous and some lack of clarity about that. But I do also have had many, you know, certainly multiple families who have said it happened right after that MMR vaccine. It was different than the other vaccines. It happened then. Okay. Now, I also have had two patients through the years who through nutrition, through detoxification, through healthier lifestyles, who their parents claimed that they were, um, that they were um, damaged by the MMR, which led to their autism. They then were seen by their local pediatrician and then received a second MMR. And these two kids became autistic a second time. You know, one of the kids um, did get full compensation through the vaccine injury fund. The other one whose parent was a doctor chose not to report it. Okay. Um, and so um, that can happen. And now also, let's talk a little bit about Dr. Andy Wakefield. Um, many of you may know who he is, um, a gastroenterologist at the Royal Free Children's Hospital in London. Okay. And what he did, as far as his original research, is he... Um, one of his researches is he, with consent, of course, got children with autism and intestinal symptoms, because that was one of the things that was a concern, um, that they would develop these specific what we call autistic colitis. Um, and when he went in, scoped them, because that's what gastrointestinal doctors do, biopsy the areas that they saw inflammation. And he was able to identify measles virus still living in their intestinal tracts in these areas. And he was able, through sequencing, able to determine that it was the vaccine, not wild strain of the measles. And at that time, there were pathologists, there were other doctors who did this research. It wasn't just him. Okay. And they all found it. 
Now, part of what then happened is in additional studies, in order to com- try to compare children with autism compared to um, neurotypical children at his children's birthday party, he decided to solicit and get a bunch of them to don't their families donated their kids blood so that they could have it to compare wasn't done through an institutional review board and really didn't have formal written consent. It's that which is what caused the sting to him, which, which caused the collapse of his career because of that. But no, you know, the then the other doctors disassociated with him that were part of the research. But none of them actually said that the original slide data wasn't true, wasn't accurate. They didn't say it was false. So be that what it may, but that's the Andy Wakefield story. And, you know, I've seen his slides. I, I know Andy Wakefield. I've known him for a better part of 20 years. And I've seen the slides that he does. And you, you know what? You can't fake pathology, especially, if, you know, when, when these university-based children's hospital pathologists are doing it. Okay. So um, I also do want to point that viruses themselves can trigger autism. Okay. Not just the vaccine. Um, and especially that's true during um, pregnancy or it, during early um, infancy into toddlerhood. Okay, so now let's talk about prevention. Um, number one, the vaccine does work, as I said. Um, but um, but besides that, as with all viruses, nutrition and lifestyle can minimize the severity of the infections. The Academy of Pediatrics says that there is no treatment for um, the measles infection, but the treatment of children with high dose vitamin A, we talked about megadosing vitamin A a few weeks ago, decreases the measles related morbidity and mortality. And they're recommending anybody with measles should start high dose vitamin A. It's right in the CDC um, Red Book. I mean, the Academy of Pediatrics Red Book. It's on the World Health Organization. Anybody has access to that information. So what's my take? Number one, I am certain that the vaccine does prevent the the virus, okay? Um, And I do think it's the best way to prevent it. But of course, parents have to weigh the pros and cons of that. Having good vitamin D and zinc levels, we know how important that is to um, for boosting, strengthening the immune system. Of course, good lifestyle with good sleep, um, with um, good exercise, with um, good control of mental stress, all very important with how the immune system reacts. Um, you know, take the vitamin A um, protocol if you've been exposed to measles, um, if you have measles, but also on the first sign of illness because it starts with that flu-like illness. And that's why we tell everybody, don't wait to see what you got. Don't wait to test. If you're starting to see sickness in your child and you start the vitamin A for the two days. Okay. That immune support protocol, um, as I've shared before, you know, our patient, our, it's in our patient portal for our patients. It's also accessible to our Patreon families um, and members. So if you want access to that, you can also join up to our Patreon account. Okay, um, but of course, if the symptoms are emerging, especially if there's a rash, you got to notify your healthcare provider. It's a reportable disease. The state, the FDA, I mean, sorry, the CDC need to know about this. And if you are and you're concerned about it, be quarantined. Don't go out spreading it to other people. And if it's positive, if you are positive, quarantine for four days after. All right, I know that's a lot of information. I know it went longer than I usually do for these videos, but there was a lot there and I didn't think I could cut it short at all. But there you go. Have a nice day. Oh, 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 oh,